Welcome back to another episode of the CrossFit Bath Podcast. As always, I'm Jason Croxon, and on this episode, I was joined by Dr. Sean Williams, who is both a lecturer from the University of Bath, as well as a fellow member of CrossFit Bath. He is one of those uh, crazy people who likes to train at seven o'clock in the morning. That means our paths rarely cross, but we made an effort to sit down together and discuss uh, CrossFit, whether or not it's dangerous, what the science actually says. Uh, We talked about risk analysis. We talked about heart rate variability uh, and a lot of good stuff. Sean did ask that I uh, made sure to include the fact that he is a doctor in the style of Ross Geller and less so uh, Dr. House. Uh, I, on the other hand, am very much a doctor in the style of Dr. Zoidberg, so don't expect incredible insights on my part. If there is anything we talk about that you'd like uh, to know more, or maybe a question that I failed to ask, uh, please send them in. Uh, you can do so uh, through the Facebook group or uh, direct message me on Instagram, Jason CFB Podcast, uh, and we can get Sean back on and have another discussion uh, with maybe some of those follow-up questions. Uh, one final thing uh, I'd just point out is that we actually sat down and recorded this episode before the recent ruling was released against the NSCA. Uh, so we don't go into that at all, uh, but obviously that is. Uh, if you're aware of that that ruling and aware of what that court case was all about, uh, you'll know that a lot of the misinformation uh, and accusations against CrossFit being dangerous, uh, well, that's kind of stemming a lot from there. So we don't touch on that at all. We're just talking about uh, some of the recent studies that Sean was involved in himself. Uh, so enjoy the episode and we'll head on over now to that interview. Sean, welcome to the CrossFit Bath podcast. How are you? I'm very well. I'm a little bit chilly in this room, but um, other than that, I'm, I'm very good. Thank you. This room is incredibly cold. Uh, they apologize to me. I apologize to you. But because it's so cold and because you know very well the format of this podcast, we are going to start with some warm-up questions and hopefully you not feel as cold afterwards. <laughs> okay. Although you probably will. Uh, so sure, I've, I've really looked for some great questions today. <laughs> I, I'm intrigued by this one. Your favorite cartoon character? Wow. Um, I guess growing up in the 90s, I was a big Simpsons fan, so I'd say Bart Simpson. Oh, Bart Simpson, not yeah. Homer. No, You're going I Bart. Go, yeah, I go for Bart. Interesting, interesting. Okay. Um, let's move to a, a CrossFit-type question. Preferred type of workout, EMOM, AMRAP, or Chipper? I'd say I like, a, I like an EMOM. You can, uh, yeah, you know... Can structure things out and 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 uh, yeah, see yourself through it quite nicely. So yeah, I'd go Emon. Those few seconds of yeah, rest. Yeah, you get some rest in this. So that's good. Excellent, good, good answer. I'm liking your answers so far. Oh, here, here's an interesting question. Now that I've said that, everyone's going to think, what <laughs> is it? So if you have to cook to impress someone, do you have a signature dish that you go to? Wow. Um, we will confer with Steffi <laughs> later to check. <laughs> to be fair, Steffi does most of the cooking, all the good cooking. Um, I've got a pretty good go-to chili. I would say that you can't go, you can't go too far wrong with a good chili. So, chili with a secret ingredient being dark chocolate. Don't reveal the secret yeah. ingredient now. <laughs> it's not a secret anymore. <laughs> oh no. Um, my mum does the same. That's always been her yeah, her secret ingredient as well. It clearly, it? not a very good secret. <laughs> if everybody knows it. Uh, any good recommendations for you know, books, TV shows, movies, podcasts, anything you're you're really into at the moment? The Sand One, Joe Rogan. I, I really like really like those. He always has um yeah, some really interesting guests and I like the fact that they go on for two, three hours and they really get into a, 
a topic deeply. Um, I think the most recent one was uh, like a debunking of the Game Changers documentary, all about um, yeah, meat eating, etc. And, and so he had a, a scientist on, can't remember the name of him, but um, he was kind of debunking the evidence that was presented in that, and that, that was really good. So yeah, Joe Rogan's my go-to, I'd say. I know everybody listens to Joe Rogan. I, I don't. It might be jealousy. Maybe that's <laughs> why. But um, I'm going to have to find that one cause I, and then forward that link to a number of people. <laughs> yeah, no, it, was, it was really good. Um, well, this one will not go on for two or three <laughs> hours, so don't worry. Uh, I hope, hope you, know, you don't have to cancel your plans for the <laughs> evening. Um, so, Sean, we're going to be talking about a, a really interesting topic today. Um, I think so, anyway. Uh, that is injury risk in CrossFit. Probably the biggest stigma that sort of hangs over CrossFit even now is, oh, don't do CrossFit, you'll hurt yourself, everybody injures themselves, they're just trying to kill themselves. Um, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, actually. Uh, I was up at the Strength and Depth competition on, on the weekend, and as I walked into the um, into the sports training village, um, two ladies were walking out and were obviously looking down at the main arena and seeing what all the crazy stuff going on was. Um, and I overheard one lady say to the other that, oh, that's CrossFit, but it's really dangerous, so don't do it. Um, and I almost wanted to jump in and, and ask her what she meant by dangerous and, and what that was based on. Was it based on YouTube fail videos or um, her own experiences or uh, her just her own perceptions? Um, I imagine it probably wasn't based on, on, on some of the evidence that's out there, which... Um, although there's not much out there at the moment, um, does seem su- to suggest that actually CrossFit isn't isn't as dangerous as as people perhaps perceive it to be, um, and I think yeah, it, d- it does have a bad rep potentially from some of those very small number of uh, of silly things that go on that and and that get end up on uh, on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, and obviously it's it's the ones that fail that gain the most traction. Absolutely, yeah. somebody doing like a nice safe not very uh, interesting lift is not going to to garner nearly as much attention as somebody who exactly and, and the ones that go wrong are few and far between and um and yeah and and as you say they're the ones that end up uh <laughs> going mainstream but um so obviously i mean there is a degree of risk as there is in walking to the shops or basically everything we we do in life so when you're talking about sort of injury risk assessment uh, yeah, we do. We do. Uh, it's called injury surveillance. Um, is where we're, we're essentially counting injuries to understand risk. Um, that's what um, I do as p- a large part of my research. Um, and so, I guess one of the first things you have to do is define what an injury is. Um, and it sounds like a really simple question, um, but when you get to the nitty gritty, you actually have to write down what your definition of an injury is, so that it ends up in your study, yes or no, you have to make a, a decision on that. Um, it can actually become quite a complex uh, c- complex, uh, um, yeah, thing to define. So if I was to ask you, what what would you consider to be an injury? When do you, do you consider yourself to be injured? What would you say? I oh, see, I was literally gonna fire this back <laughs> at you a second because I was just thinking, right, obviously, I, w- I was actually gonna ask you then, what is the sort of smallest thing that is considered? Because obviously if you tear your hands, for example, that's, yep. that's an injury. It's probably not, you know, in, a small tear on your hand is not nearly as bad as breaking your leg. Yeah. But it's still an injury. Um I don't know, chipping a nail, that's <laughs> probably I'd say not an injury, but maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, so there's a theoretical definition of an injury is um kind of a transfer of energy to your body that um I guess causes um 
a disruption to the function or structure of a of, of a bodily tissue. I mean, that's um, what I was going to yeah. say, but I just thought. <laughs> but that's that's a yeah very theoretical definition. As you say, uh, under that definition, if you fell over and grazed your knee, your knee has lost um, the skin on your knee has lost it lost its structure, and that could be defined as an injury. But would we want to record that in our injury surveillance studies? Probably not, because we're probably not interested in in very minor injuries like that. So. Yeah, injuries they they can be defined on a I guess a sliding scale from trying to capture every every little uh, every little thing like you've mentioned there with cuts and grazes, um, all the way up to the very serious ones that cause life changing consequences and um, may even end up in deaths or people being in wheelchairs. That's the the very severe end of the scale, which unfortunately very rare but um, equally need to be considered. Um, and so the types of definitions that can be used um, range from I guess medical attention, so anything that causes someone to have to go and see a medic for for treatment in any way. Um, you can have time loss injuries, which which would be something that would cause you to have to miss a training session, for example. Um, down to uh, I guess your own personal perception of pain. So if you felt like you were injured, you felt like there was some pain, or you weren't able to perform properly, um, that could be a, a an injury as well. So you have to you have to decide on what your definition is. The one that we tend to use in, in our research is that time loss definition. Um, and the reason for that is that it gets rid of those really minor ones that, um, yeah, if you cut your hands, um, we're not really interested in those types of injuries because they they don't have any um, kind of long-term consequence consequences. Um, and it means that they can be recorded in a fairly consistent way. Um, whereas yeah, those, those ones where you, you're relying on people to report pain, one person might report pain at a very high threshold some people might f report at a very low threshold and there's going to be lots of variability and inconsistency between people um so yeah the time loss one is what we tend to use because it can be recorded in a much more clear-cut way if you can't train you're injured yeah um, ma ma makes sense i mean i suppose the only sort of the only factor that can influence it to a degree is maybe what did you do before you went to train so you know, if you took your body to you know, ninety percent of injury before going to the gym, and then you go and you kind of yep. tick over that final ten percent while training, and then you're like, oh, I see, I went and did CrossFit, and it it hurt me. And you're like, well, no, it was when you you know moved somebody's house. Yeah, earlier. that's probably <laughs> what what did your back in, not that deadlift. But um, but yeah, it m makes sense to have kind of a, as as easy to kind of catch the majority. Yeah, uh, which uh, I mean, the best you you're ever going to be able to get i suppose yeah and and even then you'll have injuries that kind of come and go you know you'll have knee pain that is there one day and then the next day it disappears and you can you can get for a session but it's still it's still niggling and then it'll disappear for a few weeks and come back and those ones are really hard to capture but um yeah in the main that that time loss one where it's caused you to have to miss a training session or really adapt it so that you couldn't do what was on the board you had to swap out you know half the movements for other things because you were because of the injury that you had then that's fairly clear cut in in our book as as something that would be recorded okay so i suppose what you you've mentioned you know recording this and and like that one that you've just said sort of if you have to adapt so there are a lot of people that do have to adapt and that's not necessarily due to an injury but it's due to a lack of mobility in general and so i think of like an overhead squat yeah. you have people that couldn't overhead squat before they came they still can't but that's not an, an injury that's just because of yeah yeah we define it as not being able to take a full part in your kind of normal or 
planned training. So yeah, if you don't normally do uh, overhead squats or have to adapt it, then that wouldn't be an injury if, if that was the case. Yeah. So my question is, where are you getting the data then? Obviously, I imagine you need a, a pool of people to, to pull data from. And I would say they need to be, you know, if you've got someone who comes and does sort of once a month, a CrossFit session is probably not the ideal person to sort of assess and say well let's see how oh look you you didn't get injured in six months which yeah. translates to you know six sessions That's yes yeah it's okay um, understandable really isn't it yeah um so yeah there's there's only been a few studies that have looked at injury at all in crossfit at the moment because it was obviously a, a relatively relatively new uh, way of training um some of the early ones that did look at injuries in crossfit were were reasonably poor in in how they went about it so Essentially, what they involved were going onto uh, CrossFit forums, posting a link to a survey, and uh, which basically said, "Hey, we're doing a study in CrossFit injuries in CrossFit. Um, please fill out this survey." And it would ask questions like, "How many? How often did you go to CrossFit over the last 12 months? And have you had an injury?" Um, and hopefully, it's pretty obvious that that's not the best way to to capture injury risk. In that, if you if you saw that link to a survey asking about injuries in CrossFit and you hadn't been injured you're probably quite likely not to fill that in because you wouldn't think it was relevant to you. And so you get selection bias essentially where you get all the people who have had injuries are more likely to uh, complete that survey. And so you get a very skewed picture of what injury risk is. Um, a better way of doing it is, is the way that we've tried to do in our work, which is um, something called a cohort study. So um, you recruit people and, and Ollie was kind enough to let us do this with CrossFit Bath members a few years ago. Um, so we recruited, I think it was around 120 of the members, um, and we kind of essentially started the clock um, for, I think it was a 12-week period, uh, and we asked over that 12-week period for the members to record exactly how much CrossFit they did, so um, to complete a register essentially, so we had a really good understanding of how much they were exposed to doing CrossFit, um, and then we asked them if they had any injuries using that definition of um, something that caused you not to be able to train um, because of it. Um, to report that to ourselves as a research team or one of the coaches and, 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 and an injury form got filled out. Uh, and that's a much better way of doing it because um, the injury data, rather than having to recall an injury that happened 12 months ago, you record it at the time so you get more accurate data uh, and you capture everyone rather than just getting that kind of skewed p um, response from only those who have been injured and you ignore the people who have been doing CrossFit but haven't got injured. Um, so yeah, that's that's the kind of the best way to do it. And as you say, capturing exposure is really important because, yeah, if you if you jump out of a plane once, you've got a, a small chance of something going wrong. Um, but if you only do it once, you'd be pretty unlucky for it to go wrong. But if you jumped out of a plane a hundred times a day for a year, then chances are at some point something's going to go wrong just because you've kind of been exposed to that risk a lot more. So the same is true of CrossFit. If you go once a month, then you'd be very unlucky for something to go wrong in that one session. Whereas if you're training six, seven times a week then, um, because of that increased exposure, there's uh, a bigger chance that at some point you're going to get an injury, um, but accounting for that exposure is, is important. So within this this uh, pool of data that you managed to collect just on this one occasion, and then we might delve deeper into something, was there sort of a, a most common uh, injury that did did occur? Could, were you able to identify sort of certain trends and say, well, this is, uh, and and that's not to, to again stigmatize CrossFit and say, yeah, you see, look, this is a common injury again. But it's more if you know what a common injury is, then you know perhaps how to prevent it. And probably a lot of people listening to this are already doing CrossFit, so not necessarily listening to be like, oh, you know, I wonder if it's safe for me to do it. But potentially, it's 
how do I avoid getting injured? Sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, I guess firstly, th- what we found in terms of the overall rate of injury and and the way we report this is per 1,000 hours of doing the activity that you're talking about, in this case, doing CrossFit. Uh, and the reason for that is that it allows you to compare across different sports and activities um, because yeah, a football match is 90 minutes long, a rugby match is 80 minutes long, makes it difficult to compare um, directly. Whereas if you express things as per 1,000 hours of doing that ac- activity, how many injuries would you expect to have? Um, that does allow you to make those sorts of comparisons. And, and so the rate that we found in our study was um, 2.1 injuries per 1,000 hours. Um, which, yeah, probably doesn't mean too much when you when you say it like that. So I guess if you think about it on an individual level, um, so personally I train roughly five hours a week, um, so that's somewhere around 250 hours of exposure per year, which means it would take me about four years to get to that 1,000 hours. Um, so we saw a rate of 2.1 per 1,000 hours. So for me, that would be I can expect roughly two injuries every three to four years of doing CrossFit. Um, and... In my experience, that that probably is about right. I, if I think back, I've been doing CrossFit for what, six or seven years, and I've probably had three or four injuries I- in that time. The things that have meant I've had to kind of adapt things and change things. Um, so that rate is actually relatively low. Um, it's comparable to things like gymnastics, weightlifting, powerlifting, um, all the things that kind of CrossFit consists of. Um, and actually, if you compare it to something like recreational running. Um, so people who just go out running for for their form of exercise, park runs, etc. The rate of injury in, in that activity is upwards of seven per 1,000 hours, so more than double what we found in in, in CrossFit training. Um, so yeah, by by way of comparison, it's it actually comes out pretty well. It's probably more dangerous than if you were to go into a globo gym and sit on machine weights and and go on the cross trainer for half an hour. But equally, the, the benefits might 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 be different as well. So um, that's what we found in terms of rates. In terms of the types of injuries or the locations, um, it was essentially lower back, uh, knee and shoulder were, were the free standout um, areas, which, um, yeah, again, probably for anyone who's been doing CrossFit for a while would identify with that. Uh, and I think that's been fairly consistent across all the studies that have looked at injuries in CrossFit. Those three areas come out uh, as being um, yeah, the, the most kind of common types of injury. Um, and in, in terms of the, the movements that were causing those, it was uh, essentially the weightlifting movements, so squats, deadlifts, and um, snatch and cleans that, that were the, the main causes of, of those types of things. So uh, my question about that then um, would be, I mean, yes, it makes perfect sense that they are the free areas and obviously the, the most likely movements are going to cause that, that pain. Um, again, if we think back to our YouTube videos of sort of gym fails, generally there it is somebody you know dropping a barbell on their head dropping a barbell from height to you know smash their leg or throw them across the room or wh- whatever it whatever spectacular thing has been caught on cctv um i'm guessing that's not the cause for the majority of these in- i mean i've not seen anybody drop a, a barbell on themselves since i've been here no um, yeah no, so th- those are definitely the the freak accidents um so i'm kind of wondering what's the what do you think or not what do you think what have you seen is then the cause for somebody because i mean i can think to myself i'm pretty sure i know for for myself personally but i'd like to know generally <laughs> if somebody sort of said oh, i i injured my shoulder what's caused that yeah, that, that's, it's difficult to, to uh, identify the exact um, mechanism uh, in the types of studies that we've done because uh, we didn't have kind of trained medics there at the time to really um, diagnose injury and, and 
um, get a whole load of detail. So, we, uh, for example, we didn't have cameras on them at the time of the exact injury. So, um, any f yeah, the information that we got was fairly broad in terms of the type of movement that they were doing. Um, but if I had to guess, um, I I'd imagine at least a, a good portion of them would be kind of overuse type problems where, um, yeah, particularly around the shoulder, where if you imagine doing kipping pull-ups, for example, there's, there's a fair amount of um, body weight going through your, your shoulder joint during those those um, movements, and, and uh, essentially at some point, um, you might just be overloading that joint and, and something um, gives away. Um, in terms of, yeah, things like deadlifts, uh, yeah, personally, I, I, my I got a bit of a chocolate back, and it kind of uh, if I if I go heavy on a deadlift, I, I um, either my technique's not good enough, um, or I just have a weak weak um, spot there, and and I often yeah kind of strain my lower back muscles and have to step away from things for a few few uh, few days. Um, so yeah, it's it's probably an overloading issue in in, in some sense. Yeah, because I'm thinking that potential. So I, I again, with that sort of rate of injury there is also that potential to almost reduce it to a degree if people kind of listen to their bodies and, and which is also something that I think happens the longer you do CrossFit. So again, if you take those thousand hours and, you know, keep running with them, the more you do it, the more in tune you come, you know, a day that you're just not feeling it. And like, this is not the day to go extra heavy. I'm going to pull back a little bit. And obviously the more in tune you come and the more you can listen, I think you can avoid some of those, not all, because as you say if it's just sort of overuse and it's just you know you just, it just gives potentially you weren't aware of that but you know with your back or something you're saying oh, I've, it's been a long day I'm t well you train so early in the morning <laughs> but <laughs> someone like me <laughs> trains in the evening so yeah, it's been a long day I'm not feeling it all right oh deadlifts today yeah maybe you know I actually I think the other week we did deadlifts and someone's like oh I think you've got you know more in you I was like yeah I think I have too but it's going to stay in me for now. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no, definitely. Um, being sensible with things like that. Um, and I think, yeah, the coaches um, have a big part to play in that in terms of um, emphasizing, you know, technique and form over, over weight. And I think the coaches here at Bath do that really well. And, and I, I think generally across cross, CrossFit, that, that, is, that is done very well. So, yeah, that, that would be a potential danger if people, you know, wanted to, to throw in weights for, um, for the sake of putting it on and, and they're not you know strong enough to do that and 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 that at that case um therefore might be compromised and that's where injuries might happen but um yeah certainly being sensible um and and sticking to good form and prior prioritizing that over over the weight um will certainly reduce that risk and sensible progressions um so not jumping up too much um all those sorts of things would, would definitely reduce um that risk yeah. so i know you also have spoken about the heart rate variability as well so how does that come into effect come into play uh with when we're talking about injury risk or, or yeah 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 so um heart rate variability um is a really interesting concept so heart rate variability is the measure of the variability between your heartbeats so sitting here now your your heart rate might be 60 beats per minute roughly <laughs> <laughs> um but it, it, th those heartbeats aren't necessarily happening on the top of every second like a metronome there's there's variability between the timing of those beats uh, and that variability gives us an indication of um, kind of the balance between your two nervous systems. So the parasympathetic nervous system, which is, uh, I guess, rest and digest. So when you're in a relaxed state, that one's in, in, in dominance versus the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight. So if a cheetah ran out at you and <laughs> you had to either fight it or run away, 
your sympathetic nervous system is the one that kicks in, re uh, releases adrenaline, increases your heart rate, um, yeah, gets blood to your muscles in order to either allow you to fight the cheetah or, or to run away from it. Um, and so measuring heart rate variability gives you um, a kind of indicator of which of those systems is imbalanced and whether you're in a kind of stress state or whether you're, you're in a nice relaxed state. And it used to be something that you could only really measure in a lab, so you had to have an ECG strapped to your chest. And then technology moved on, you can measure it with a heart rate strap. Um, but now you can actually measure it just with your mobile phone. So by um, putting your finger over the, the, the phone's camera lens, um, it shines the flash for your fingertip. Um, when your flash is shining for there and every time your heart beats, the, the color in your, in your skin pigment will, will change slightly so it can detect the heartbeat. And from that, it can detect the variability between those heartbeats. And so you can get a measure of heart rate variability quite simply just from doing a, a, a one minute measurement whilst lying in bed in the morning. And what that tells you is, is essentially whether your system is um, in, in a, a normal place or whether it's um, stressed. And when you are stressed, what happens is the variability between those heartbeats actually goes down. It becomes more like a metronome um, because essentially your body is less able to react to the very small changes that are happening in oxygen in the air and et cetera. Um, and that, that suggests that your body's kind of in a fatigued or, or stressed uh, stress, uh, place. And so you can get this kind of red flag that tells you maybe high intensity exercise isn't a good idea today. Um, whereas if it's in your normal bounds, then um, you're kind of good to go and, and, and can, can go ahead with whatever you had planned. So that's quite a useful way of um, objectively measuring whether your body is ready for, for exercise or not. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. So I'm just going to double check that I, I understood that. Not all of it, because clearly I didn't, but the little bit I'm going to check is, so you were saying that th this kind of, you know, every 10 seconds, doof, 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 uh, you don't want that. You don't want it to be uh, so kind of, as as you said as as a metronome it's actually better to have more variability within it which is interesting because i think if you grabbed uh, and please people on the street back me up on this <laughs> i think if you grabbed 50 people on the street and just said to them you know showed them maybe two heartbeats and there is one that is very as a metronome yep. and another one that is sort of beat more here beat there that, and you pick that which do you think is better I'm sure people would say, well, sh must be the one. Because I feel we're programmed just to kind of think that yeah. anything that happens sort of... And you hear of issues around kind of uh, erratic heartbeats, et cetera, well, exactly. which, which are indicators of heart problems. But no, here we're talking about, yeah, that very small, we're, yeah, we're, we're talking about millisecond differences between heart rates, uh, heartbeats, sorry. Um, so yeah, y you need to measure it in order to detect it. If you just put your kind of finger on your pulse, you wouldn't be able to, is, yeah, it wouldn't be able to measure it. Um, but yeah, when you're sitting here in a room, there are small changes going on. So in, in atmospheric pressure and oxygen levels in the room, and if your body's in a in a nice relaxed state, then it's able to uh, quickly uh, react to those changes um, in order to maintain kind of balance within its system. Whereas, as I say, when it's overly stressed and fatigue, fatigued, it will almost turn off some turn off some of those responses, and um, it becomes more metronomic, so that it can get what it needs to do done, uh, and is less able to. Um, yeah, adjust those very minute changes. So, yeah, having that more variability between the heartbeats is, is a good indicator that your your body's in a stress uh, stress free and relaxed um, place, uh, and and therefore good to go with um, potentially better to go with um, with with exercise and and whatever you had planned. You see, look at that. I, I had no idea, uh, but I I think it is it is interesting because it, it's uh, again I think you know we see a lot of 
you see a lot of sort of fitness trackers and heart rate monitors and things like that and it's it does seem at, at times i think for the the general kind of look i'm just doing this for my health I'm, I'm not thinking about competing it's just you know i just want to get in shape and that all sort of almost seems to be the elite kind of so oh if yeah if you're training at a high intensity an elite level and your you know your goal is to go to the crossfit games then you definitely need all this stuff but from what you're saying you know just at least the minimum of it of just being able to kind of check your your heart rate gives you a, a kind of a green light red light of you probably shouldn't train today like your your body is telling you it's not a good idea yeah absolutely yeah so so stress your your body can't differentiate one stress form from another so if you're an elite athlete and are training six hours a day then your main source of stress is that training but for the vast majority of us that's only a very small it's one hour of the day it comes from that training stress most of the stress imposed on us is from our jobs, from our family life or um, bills to pay, all those sorts of things and how well you slept and your diet, etc. Uh, and so if anything, having a measure of all that other stress and, and, and using that to indicate what state your body in is, is possibly even more important for um, general population people, I, I think, um, potentially, because, as I say, the, the training stress is only a very small part of the picture for them. It's, um, it's all the other stuff that, that's going on that's kind of harder to measure and capture. Um, that's where HRV is quite a useful way to, to, to measure and capture it objectively. And I suppose that rolls back around to this idea of, you know, that you've done 90% of the damage somewhere else and it's just that final 10% you're doing doing CrossFit. So if you've had the most stressful day on earth and then you go and do your workout and it's that that kind of pushes you over the edge then you you know we're you kind of forget all the stuff that happened in the day and you just think oh i went to the gym i did this and i got injured and that's clearly that and actually it probably isn't the source it's the, the stress you had leading up to that but it's just that we kind of look at the very last thing don't we absolutely so, well, yeah yeah so that kind of pathway to injury is incredibly complex so all the things that you mentioned will will kind of intertwine and your genetics and how well you slept and um yeah your anatomy and your uh yeah your previous injury history all those things will will um yeah align and and one day that might be um there might be a kind of straw that breaks the camel's back and tips you over the edge and um we then assign that to whatever activity you were doing at the time but you're right most of that kind of initial um initial stuff came much further back um and, and and that stuff's harder to measure i guess are there any other factors then that you i'll take so we've talked of this variability in in the heart rate when we've, we've talked about sort of just generally the data you've you've collected mm -hmm. but then what are then maybe the other factors that you are looking for when you're kind of like i mean i don't know what your overall goal is if your goal is just to say well we know if crossfit's dangerous or not or whether or not it's sort of prevention as well um yeah well so I'd, I'd hope that's part of the goal yeah yeah absolutely but i, I guess the, the first step of if you if you're if you're trying to prevent injuries in in any setting the, the first step is really to understand how many happen because um if you are going to try and reduce that risk then you need to know what the starting point is um and so i, I would say in, in the crossfit uh, arena we're still really at that stage because although there's been some studies and and the one that we did included um, which are all kind of pointing towards a fairly similar rate around that two to three injuries per 1,000 hour mark, um, which is, as I say, relatively or uh, at least not um, obscenely high by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah, all those studies have been reasonably small and have typically been just been done in one or two boxes at a time. Um, so it would be good to have that repeated on a, a large scale so we can be a bit more certain about it. The next step then is to try and 
work out how those injuries are happening. And as I said, we've got some idea of the types of movements that they're um, occurring in, some of the risk factors, things like, um, so in, in our study we found, uh, we put participants for a movement screen, which was a very basic kind of um, a, a way of, yeah, there's seven different movements, so things like an overhead squat, and you got rated up on a one to three for how the quality of those movements. And then we, we looked to see whether um, your score on that was associated with, with your risk of getting injured over the 12 weeks. And what we actually found was that having um, asymmetry, so um, differences between your left side and your right side, um, seemed to be potentially a risk factor. Uh, again, the numbers were, were quite small, but that was potentially a risk factor. Um, and then the other one, um, risk was higher in males versus, versus females. So being a male, unfortunately, doubled the risk roughly. Um, doubled the risk? Yeah, oh yeah wow. so the rate, w again, it's, it's relative. So the rate was, was twice as high, but we're, it was still relatively low um, compared to um, lots of other activities. Uh, and reasons for that, yeah, again, we don't really know, but um, there is some evidence that males are kind of more performance-oriented with their goals, so more likely to, I guess, chase the, the weight goals um, in terms of what's on the barbell versus females who might be more kind of um, interested in mastering and technique and may seek help and guidance a bit more than males. Potentially there's some evidence uh, around that, but um, yeah. It, it does know. seem like you're just saying women that are a little bit more intelligent <laughs> than men. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's essentially what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, being male, um, having more asymmetries and, and previous injury um, was the thing that came out in us. So um, if you've had a previous injury, that it does seem to be that that increases your risk of uh, future injuries. Um, maybe because you haven't rehabbed or fully returned back to where you were prior to the, the original injury, um, it might change the way you move. For example, if you if you injure your left ankle, you might be putting more strain for your right knee, and then that can lead to an injury that side. Or it might be that having a previous injury just means that you're one of those slightly more susceptible people to injuries, and that's just the marker. Um, so those were the, the key ones. And the next step in that cycle then, once you know that stuff, is to try and look at ways to prevent them. And um, I guess if, if you feel like the risk is, is high enough, that's warranted. And personally, looking at the rates that we've seen in CrossFit, then I don't think there's a, a massive call in to, to do anything extreme in terms of injury prevention. Um, as I said, the rates are as you'd expect, um, relatively low, much lower than, for example, people who just go out and run for the activity. So, um, yeah, there's not necessarily a, a, a massive, uh, an urgent need to, to do injury prevention in CrossFit, but there might be some very simple simple things that we can do, such as, you know, you know warming up properly and not um, not jumping in too quickly, etc. Uh, I mean, you've mentioned running, which is uh, kind of a classic, and, and I suppose running also, you especially if you're you know, running like now it's pitch black at four o'clock so if somebody goes running in the evening and they're not wearing anything that's sort of <laughs> lit up at all or it, you know there's sort of the chance of being hit by a car but i mean running is generally it, it, it's it's considered to people safe right there's there's no equipment involved apart from your trainers it's so simple what about some other sports do, do you have any of the kind of i'm i'm putting you on the spot here but like do you know sort of like okay in, in bath maybe football rugby things like have you got numbers for those because yeah, i would so imagine there so most most of my research um is, is done in professional rugby because they have uh, quite a lot of injuries in that sport and, and we definitely do need to try and prevent some of the injuries there um so the rate of injury in a in a typical professional rugby union match is upwards of 80 per 1000 hours so in crossfit we're talking about two to three injuries per 1000 in a rugby match um the rate is is um, 80 so <laughs> a lot higher in a in professional football it's around 20 to 30 
Um, in training, um, it's much closer to um, kind of four to five around that mark. So still a little bit higher than than, than what we saw in CrossFit training, but um, yeah, uh, what other sports? Um, so things like gymnastics, as I said, weightlifting, powerlifting, the things that are kind of contained within CrossFit in some form all, all sit around a similar place on that um, two to four or five per 1,000 hour mark. Yeah, I, I'm in. So I'm intrigued to know whether wh- whether the injuries will be so like okay, uh, Olympic lifting for example, where you're training and you're just doing Olympic lifts. So on the one hand, you're obviously going to get more proficient with lifting. Yeah. But on the other hand, you're just doing you know. So if the barbell is maybe the main cause, so at CrossFit when you're doing the burpees, you're okay. When you're doing I don't know wall balls. Well, that's probably <laughs> one where you do get injured. Um, but whatever wh- you're doing, like a number of different movements within that thousand hours, and only so much is doing certain Olympic lifts. Yep. Compared to somebody who's just doing Olympic lifting and they're doing a thousand hours of that. Yep. So I'm really intrigued to know if the if the numbers go up or down dependent on that, or if they're just sitting at the same. Yeah. Well, so so said so the the data that we have from weightlifting is is around the same. So I guess those two things roughly balance each other out. Um, you're doing more of a um, of the relatively riskier movements in terms of snatch and heavy weights, um, but I guess you don't have the kind of doing that under fatigue element and and high reps that you have in CrossFit, which which might might alter things. And as you said, you if you become really proficient at weightlifting, then technique um, will be as good as it can be. So I guess those two things balance out to to leave it in a similar place. Um, but I think the reason the risk of injury when all you do is um, run, for example, is, is higher is, is because they, if, if all you're doing is running, then um, the most common injuries that you see in running are kind of the overuse injuries around the knees and ankles, etc. And that's just because it's a, a loading issue. You're just constantly hammering exactly the same movement pattern over and over again. And so eventually something gives way um, versus CrossFit, where, as you say, you're, you're running once a week, but then also doing all this other stuff. I guess you're not not spending that much time on a particular movement pattern or joint, um, and so it spreads out the the load a bit better potentially, which is why the rate might be a bit lower. So I do now feel like I can say a doctor told me not to run. I definitely feel like <laughs> that is a card I will pull out at some point, potentially in a workout. Wouldn't say that. Um, well, it's uh, run, but con- uh, yeah, maybe don't don't just run combine it with strength and, and other trainings i.e crossfit ah, there you go look at that uh, is there anything we've missed any vital important information that that you wanted to share that i have been foolish enough not to ask the correct question for so i guess the the, the most recent um injury surveillance stuff that we've done so the the studies i mentioned so far have all been done in crossfit training set um, settings so um i uh, crossfit bath uh, in classes etc um we did a study last year again uh or, or this year as well um thanks to, to ollie for letting us do this at the um two strength and depth competitions um so we went along to the the one that was in bath this time last year and also the one that was in london um, and we did injury surveillance, so we had all those athletes there, and our definition of in- injury here was slightly different. So here it was a medical attention injury. So we were sat next to the, all the, the medical teams, the first aiders, and um, any time that they had to go and attend someone due to an injury or someone came to them due to an injury, um, we asked them to fill out a form so that we had a record of those injuries. The reason for that is that we couldn't look at time lost the following week because they all went back to uh, they came from all over the world and it'd be very difficult to track whether they were able to train the next day or not so we're using medical um, attention definition here and, and that did capture things like 
um, you know, people ripping their hands on the bar and needing or having blisters. So some very minor injuries. Briefly, there were some there were some um, some more serious injuries. Um, for example, Steffi broke her hand at the Threaten and Depth competition this time last year. Uh, one of those freak accidents where yeah, she went to catch the bar when it rebounded after doing a lift and, and ended up breaking her hand. So um, so it captured quite a broad range. Uh, and, and basically the rate in, in, in that competition setting was much higher than in training. Um, so uh, I think the rate was, was it 36 per 1,000 competition hours. So it's roughly 10 times higher than, than, than we saw in, in training. But as I say, it's we can't quite make a direct comparison there because we were capturing very minor injuries and those cuts and grazes. Um, so our injury definition was slightly broader. But I think that 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 uh, kind of correlates to other sports where if you go from training, for example, in rugby training, the rate is around three to five per one thousand hours. You go into a match setting, it it goes up to eighty because the intensity is much higher. Um, you're it's less far less controlled in the match setting. You can't you're just you're you're um yeah you're against an opponent in a in a live setting and the same is probably true of a crossfit co competition you can't control the weights you can't control the intensity you just have to go 100 percent and inevitably the uh, the risk will be slightly higher so um so yeah so for competitors the risk is is high but even then if we if we look at those two competitions there was well over a thousand athletes and um only 2.4 percent of them so 26 um, injuries in total so 2.4% of them picked up any sort of injury, and as I said, that includes cuts and grazes and blisters, etc. So um, even then, that that compares very favourably with with other sports, um, and and so the vast majority of people got through those events without without getting injured. I guess is the message. So um, yeah, the rate probably does go up in competitions because of that intensity, but still doesn't look to me to be um, absurdly high. I think it is really nice to have sort of the statistics there to back it up because you get a lot of anecdotal evidence presented particularly for it being dangerous so being able to kind of pull out a spreadsheet and say well hold on hold on one second sit down and let me show you this uh, I, I think it, it's good for for people to know that and, and i think it's good especially if you know like you mentioned right back at the beginning of the episode the, the two people heading out of the uni that sort of saw it and don't do it it's dangerous and there are probably a lot of people that would would really benefit from doing crossfit and would say oh, i won't do you know i want to get in shape someone tells them look do crossfit it will it will work it will help it, you, you know you'll enjoy it oh no it's too dangerous i'll go running yeah and, exactly and statistically that's a mistake <laughs> uh, which is which is great i've really enjoyed this chat i hope people listening have enjoyed it as as well i'm sure if if there's any follow-up questions they can send them in and then i'll get you back on and sure yeah no more than happy because they've that. probably got much better questions than <laughs> i had i'm a little bit concerned because i've been doing crossfit for probably two and a half years maybe creeping up to three years so i'm expecting a couple of injuries okay next yeah, year. You wouldn't know, yeah but um that that is that is an average number so there'll be people who are below that and you might be one of the lucky ones who are um have a much lower risk than an average you know, so really what I, what i need to do is find a training partner who's had four injuries in two years absolutely um, <laughs> and then i'll be safe oh brilliant well thank you so much sean i've I really enjoyed this chat and uh we'll just head on over now to my outro well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, very interesting and insightful discussion with Sean. Uh, I certainly learned a lot, but then again, I probably had a lot to learn in the first place. But I hope you found some uh, interesting and useful information there, even if it's just uh, having a good excuse not to go running during the winter. 
uh, on our next episode, well, hopefully we will be joined by Nikki Brazier, uh, if that's a name you're familiar with. Uh, she is a sideline reporter at the CrossFit Games and different sanctional events, uh, but also involved in, in coaching and other uh, areas of CrossFit. So we're going to have a, a nice discussion with her. Uh, hopefully nothing will go wrong, but uh, we did have to reschedule it once already. Uh, so it hasn't yet been recorded, but uh, if all goes well, well, that will be our next episode in two weeks' time. So uh, thank you once again for listening. If you feel like leaving a, a nice positive review on iTunes, that's always appreciated. So thank you once again for listening and uh, look forward to having you all come back for the next episode of the CrossFit Bath Podcast. <laughs>